Welcome back, guys, to another episode of Confessions from the Dark Side. Thirteen Nights of Slaughter. Today's book is Christmas Eve on a Haunted Hulk. Short story by Mr. Frank Cowper. Uh, quick disclaimer, I don't know if there's going to be any derogatory... I cannot speak as of today. Derogatory statements, words, anything like that throughout this book. Um... So bear with me, I'm going to try to do the best that I can to hopefully not use any derogatory words, anything like that. This is a continuation from Darcy's and I's solo trip doing the 13 Nights of Slaughter, reading 12 books, 6 of mine, 6 of hers, haunting stories from being from the Victorian era, stuff like that. We will be doing the 13th episode for 13 Nights of Slaughter together. Why? Because 13 is a lucky number for us horror lovers. So let's get into this. This one doesn't seem as long as I thought it was. It says 20 pages, but it looks like it might be shorter. A lot of like descriptions and stuff like that at the beginning. We're just going to jump right into this book though. The absolute silence was broken. Horribly broken. By a doll drip from the stairs, and then the dragging began again, distant and less distinct, but the steps were louder. They came near, over my head. The old boards creaked, and the weight was dragged right over me. I could hear it above my head, for the steps stopped, and two distinct raps, followed by a third heavier one, sounded so clearly above me that it seemed almost as if it was striking the rotten woodwork of the berth over my head. The sounds were horribly suggestive of the elbows and head of a body being dropped on the deck. And now, as if the horrors had not been enough, a fresh ghastliness was added. So close were the wraps above me that I involuntarily moved, as if I had been struck by what caused them. As I did so, I felt something drop onto my head and slowly trickled over my forehead. It was too horrible. I sprang up in disgust. With a wild cry, I stepped forward and instantly fell between the joist into the rank water below. The shock was acute. Had I been asleep and dreaming before, this must inevitably be, inevitably have roused me up. I find myself completely immersed in water, and for a moment was absolutely incapable of thinking, as it was pitch dark and my head had gone under. I could not tell whether I was above water or not, as I felt the bottom struggled and splashed onto my legs. It was only by degrees I knew I must be standing with my head out of the foul mixture because I was able to breathe easily, although the wet running down from my hair dribbled into my mouth as I stood shivering and gasping. It was astonishing how physical discomfort overcame a mental terror. Nothing could be more miserable than my present position, and my efforts were at once directed to getting out of this dreadful place. But let anyone who has ever had the ill luck to fall out of bed in this boyhood try and recollect his sensations. The be bewildering realization that he is not in bed, that he does not know where he is, which way to go, or what to do, get back again. Everything he touches seems strange, and one piece of furniture much the same as any other. I well remember such an accident, and how have rolled under the bed before I was wide awake. I could not, for the life of me, understand why I could not get up, what it was that kept me down. 
I had not the least idea which way to get out, and keep and kept going round and round in a circle under my bed for a long time, and should probably have been d doing it until daylight had not my sighs and groans awoke my brother who slept in the same room and who came to my help. If, then, one is so utterly at fault in my room, every inch of which one knows intimately, how much more hopeless was my position at the bottom of this old vessel, half immersed in water, and totally without any clue which could help me to get out. I had not the least idea which was the ship's stern or which her stem, and every movement I made with my feet only served to unsteady me, as the bottom was all covered with slime and uneven with the great timbers of the vessel. My first thought on recovering my wits was to stretch my arms up over my head, and I was relieved to find that I could easily reach the joist above me. I was always fairly good at gymnastics, and I had not much difficulty in drawing myself up and sitting on the joist, although the weight of my wet clothes added to my exertions considerably. Having so far succeeded, I sat and drained, as it were, into the water below. The smell was abominable. I never disliked myself so much, and I shivered with cold. As I could not get any wetter, I determined to go on deck somehow, but where was the companion ladder? I had nothing to guide me. Strange to say, the reality of my struggles had almost made me forget the mysterious pneumonia I had been listening to, oh, phenomena I had been listening to. But now, as I looked round, my attention was caught by a luminous patch which quivered and flickered on my right. At the distance from me, I could not tell. It was like the light from a glowworm, only larger and changing in shape, sometimes elongated like a lament oval, and then it would sway one way or another, as if it caught in drought of air. While I was looking at it, wondered what it what could cause it i heard the steps over my head they passed above me and they seemed to grow louder on my left a creeping dread again came over me if only i could get out of this horrible place but where were the stairs i listened the footfall seemed to be coming down some steps then the companion ladder must be on my left but if i move that way i should meet the thing whatever it was that was coming down. I shuddered at the thought. However, I made up my mind. Stretching out my hand very carefully, I felt for the next joist, reached it, and crawled across. I stopped to listen. The steps were coming nearer. My hearing had now become acute. I could almost tell the exact place of each footfall. It came closer, closer, quite close. Surely, on the very joist on which I was sitting, I thought I could feel the joist quiver and involuntarily moved my hand to prevent the heavy tread falling on it. The steps passed on, grew fainter, and ceased. As they drew near the pale, lambent light, one thing I noticed with curious horror, and that was that although the thing must have passed between me and the light, yet it was never for a moment obscured, which it must have been had any body or substance passed between, and yet I was certain that the steps went directly from me to it. It was all horribly mysterious. And what had become the other sound? The thing that was being dragged? An irresistible shudder passed over me. But I determined to pursue my way until I came to something. I would never do... It would never do to sit still and shiver there. After many narrow escapes of falling again, I reached the bulkhead. And cautiously feeling along it, I came to an opening. It was the companion ladder. By this time, my hands 
by feeling over the joists that had become dry again, I felt along the step to be quite sure that it was the stairs. And in doing so, I touched something wet, sticky, clammy. Oh, the horror. What was it? A cold shiver shook me nearly off the joist, and I felt an un unutterable sense of repulsion to going on. However, the fresh, the fresher air which came down the companion revived me, and conquering my dread, I clam clambered onto the step. It did not take long to get upstairs and stand on the deck again. I think I never, all in my experience, all my life experienced such a sense of joy as I did on being out, on out of the disgusting hole. It was true. I was soaking wet, and the night wind cut through me like a knife. But these were things I could understand, and were matter of common experience. What had I had gone through might only be a question of nerves, and had no tangible or visible terror. But it was nonetheless dreadful, and I would not go through such an experience again for worlds. As I stood cowering under the lee of the bulk bulwark, I looked round at the sky. There was a pale light as of if daybreak away in the east, and it seems as if all my troubles would be over with the dawn. It was bitterly cold. The wind had got round to the north, and I could faintly make out the low shore astern. While I stood shivering there, a cry came down the wind. At first I thought it was a seabird, but it sounded again. I felt sure it was a human voice. I sprang up on the taffrail and shouted at the top of my lungs, then paused. The cry came down clear and distinct. It was Jones's voice. Had he heard me? I waved my draggled pocket handkerchief and shouted again. In the silence which followed, I caught the words. We are coming. What joyful words. Never did a shipwrecked mariner on a lonely isle feel greater delight. My misery would soon be over. Anyhow, I should not have, wait, have to wait too long. Unfortunately, the tide was low and was still falling. Fall, falling. Nothing but a boat could reach me, I thought, and to get a boat would take some time. I therefore stamped up and down the deck to get warm, but I had an instinctive aversion for the companion ladder and the deep shadows of the forepart of the vessel. As I turned round in my walk, I thought I saw something moving over the mud. I stopped. It was undoubtedly a figure coming towards me. A voice hailed me in gruff accents. Lily, ahoy! Be anyone aboard? Was anyone aboard? What an absurd question. And here I had been shouting myself hoarse. However, I quickly reassured him, and then understood why my rescuer did not sink in the soft mud. He had mud patterns on. Coming up as close as he could, he shouted to me to keep clear, and then threw first one, then the other, clattering wooden board on the deck. I found them, and under the instructions of my friend, I did not take long in putting them on. The man was giving me instruction as how to manage, but I did not care how much wetter I got. I dropped over the side into the slime. Sliding and straddling, I managed to get up to my friend, and then together we skated, as it were, to the shore. Although skating very little represents the awkward splashes and slips I made on my way to land, I found quite a low crowd, little crowd awaiting me on the bank, but Jones, with ready consideration, hurried me off to a cart he had in a lane near and drove me home. I told him the chief's point of the adventure on our way, but did not say anything of, curious, of the curious noises. It is odd how shy a man feels at telling what he knows people will never believe. It was not until the evening the next day that I began to tell him, and then only after I was fortified by an excellent dinner and some very good claret, Jones listened intently. He was far too kindly and well-bred to laugh at me. 
but I could see he did not believe one word as to the reality of the occurrence. Very strange. How remarkable. Quite extraordinary, he kept saying with ev evident interest. But I was sure he put it all down to my fatigue and disordered imagination. And so, to do him justice, has everybody else to whom I have told this tale since. The fact is, we cannot, in the prosaic age, believe anything at the least approaching the supernatural. Nor do I. But nevertheless, I am as certain as I am that I am writing these words that the thing did really happen, and will happen again, may happen every night for all I know, only I don't intend to try and put my belief to the test. I have a theory, which of course, will be laughed at, and as I am not in the least scientific, I cannot bolster it up by the scientific arguments. It is this, as Mr. Edison has now discovered that by certain simple processes human sounds can be reproduced at any future date. So accidentally, and owing to the combination of most curious coincidences, it might happen that the agonized cries of some suffering being were the sounds made by one at a time when all the emotions are as nothing compared to the supreme sensations of one committing some awful crime could be impressed on the atmosphere or surface of any of an enclosed building which could be reproduced by a curtain by a current of air passing into the building under the same atmospheric conditions this is the vague explanation i have given to myself however b the explanation made what it may the facts are as i have stated them let those laugh who did not experience them to return to the end of the story there were two things I pointed out to Jones as conclusive that I was not dreaming. One was my pocketbook. I showed it to him. And the words were quite clear. Only, of course. Very staggering. This is a simile of the writing, but I cannot account for the date being 1837. I'm trying to read this uh, writing, guys. I am wide awake. It is about Mr. Smith, Christmas Eve, 1837 is what the writing says. The other point was the horrible stains on my hands and clothes. A foul-smelling dark chocolate stain was on my hair, hands, and clothes. Jones said, of course, this was from the rust of the moldering ironwork, some of which no doubt had trickled down, owing it to the heavy rain through the defective caulking of the deck. The fact is, there is nothing that an ingenious mind cannot explain, but the question is, is the explanation the right one? I could easily account for the phosphorus light. The water was foul and stagnant, and it was no doubt caused by the same gases which produced the well-known igneous fascist or will-o'-the-wisp. We visited the ship, and I recovered my gun. There was the same stains on the deck as there were on my clothes, and curiously enough, they went in a nearly straight line over the place where I lay from the top of the companion to the starboard bulwark. We carefully examined the forepart of the ship. It was completely gutted as the rest of her. Jones's was glad to get on the deck again, as the atmosphere was very unpleasant, and I had no wish to stay. At my request, Jones made every inquiry he could about the old hulk. Not much was elicited. It bore an evil name, and no one would go on aboard who could help it. So far, it looked as if it were credited with being haunted. The owner, who had been the captain of her, had died about three years before. His character did not seem amiable, but as he had left his money to the most influential farmer in the district, the country people were unwilling to talk against him. 
I went with Jones to call on the farmer and asked him point blank if he had ever heard whether a murder had been committed on board the Lily. He stared at me and then laughed, not as I know of, was all his answer, and I never got any nearer than that. I feel that this is all very unsatisfactory. I wish I can give some thrilling and sensational explanation. I am sorry, I cannot. My imagination suggests many, as no doubt it will eat it will to each of my readers who possesses the faculty, but I have only written this to tell the actual facts, not to add to our superabundant fiction. If I ever if I ever come across any details bearing the subject, I will not fail to communicate them at once. The vessel I found was the Lily of Gold, owned by one Master Gad Erwaker and built in 1801. Well guys, nice little short story from Christmas Eve on a Haunted Hulk. That was kind of chilling. It was a good book. A uh, little, nice little short story. And I like short stories that are kind of secretive. They don't give much explanation. They kind of make your mind wander. You know, the little ghastliness, the the strange sounds, you don't know exactly what it is, and then at the end it tells you that a gentleman had passed away on the ship. <laughs> the vessel. So, kind of putting two, two, two and two together, and that's where the the hauntedness comes from um but i thought it was really good uh i enjoyed it thoroughly if you guys definitely liked what you heard like what you uh listened to please give us a like subscribe and follow uh darcy and i will be reading the last one together and we can't wait to be together for this thank you for listening my name's lunar rising later